Welcome to Wine for Normal People, the podcast for people who like wine, but not the snobbery that goes with it. I'm your host, Elizabeth Schneider, author of the Wine for Normal People book and certified wine dork. And I'm MC Ice, just a wine-loving normal person. This podcast is sponsored by Wine Access, a huge supporter of small, family-owned brands like Le Vigne de Silvia. Find brands owned by small family wineries. Go to wineaccess.com slash WFMP today. Listen in the middle of the show for more details. When I was on our tour through Tuscany with a group of Wine for Normal People patrons, we spent our final night at a small family winery. This was something organized by my very trusted partners at Terissimo. And Beppe, who is one of the owners, is a sommelier, so we coordinate a lot on the trips. And I was told that this would be one of the most special visits of the trip. It was. Stefania Fuseli greeted us with a smile, and her sister Sylvia, who is the head of the winery and a retired famous footballer, her mother and her father joined us as we toured the vineyards, the larger farm, and then we sat down for an unbelievable dinner with excellent wines. It felt like being with family. The wines were really amazing, as I said, and we'll talk about them. The ambience was everything you ever hoped for when you visit an Italian family. And I knew that I had to introduce Le Vigne di Silvia to you and to share the story of this beautiful, wonderful family who's getting started in the Bulgari region of Tuscany, which is really a very dynamic, unusual region. Stefania, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for making our group feel so special when we visited. We felt like we were your family. I'm so excited to share your story. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for your introduction. Let me say thank you for having me on your, your podcast. I'm really honored. And thank you for coming to visit me in Italy. It was a pleasure for us. I could hang out with you for days. I love your family. <laughs> me too. Um, I got to work on my Italian, though, so then I could talk to Mama. I got to yeah. be able to do it. I can help you. All right, good. All right, I need my (laughs) lessons. Let's start with what was happening in the 1940s and 50s that brought people, including Silvio, your grandfather, from Le Marque to Bulgari. Because it's really important to the history of your family and to the story for people to understand how they got there and what the landscape looked like. And then we'll talk more about the wider story. But it was a really interesting time. I did not know about this. I knew there was a lot of migration around Italy, but this is a really interesting story. So go ahead. Yeah, it's true. Like you said, my family is originally from Le Marche, which is a region on the Adriatic coast. And we were just post-World War II, so in the early 50s, late 40s. And Italy was experiencing a huge internal migration. So basically, people were moving inside the country from one region to another one, trying to get a better life. And at the same time, the Italian government were uh, launching new reforms. One of them was the agrarian reform, which was imposing the aristocrats' landowner to resize, to downsize their property by selling some of their lands to peasants. And that's what happened here in Bulgari. So my family, originally from the market, they were um, sharecroppers. So basically, they used to work for aristocrats, and they had to give half of their profits to the owner as a rent. So they didn't have much of independence. They didn't have any possibility of growth. And when they came to know that in Bulgaria there were this possibility of buying some uncultivated lands and also at affordable prices, they thought that it could have been a great idea for them to finally become independent. And that's what happened. So they moved here to Bulgaria and they bought some lands from the markets in Chisa de la Rucchetta and they 
settle down, they, they start their agriculture activities. I want to talk about the Mesodria system because it was actually so horrible. Yeah. It's not something that I think people talk enough about in wine because it really impacted a lot of things in wine, like wine quality and the fact that these peasants, like my family yeah. would have been right there with yours, by the way, if we had been Italian. I mean, you can never get out from under it. Because you're left with whatever you can live off of, but there's no chance of ever being able to sell anything on the side. This is just literally hand-to-mouth living. And yeah. in a lot of places, even in Tuscany, people, and I don't know if it went on in Le Marque, but I definitely know that it went on in Piedmont. Until the 1970s, people were still doing it even though it was illegal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. No, in Le Marque, well, the, those, they happened that those families, when they realized that here there was this possibility... They left. So many, many families left from the same town in the market and they moved here to Tuscany to hope for a better life. They came here, uh, each of them, they bought like a holding of five hectares, which was large enough to allow like enough income to support the family. And in 1953, first of all, they came the heads of the family. So they came here, they overlooked the situation and they made the deal. And one year later, they brought their children and their wives. That must have been so hard to, co- to go from, I've never been to Le Marque, but it's got to look completely different, right? Completely it's kind different. of, it's very hilly. And, and then you're going to this very flat area of Tuscany. Tuscany yeah. is notorious for being very snotty, right? Like it's a very snooty, it, it's, it's just true. known yeah. as all over as being very snotty. They but, think they speak the best Italian. They think they have the best food, right? Am I wrong? It's true. It was very hard at the beginning for them. My grandfather used to tell me all the time that when my grandmother came here, he told him, where did you take us? Because yeah. here, Elizabeth, there were nothing. There were just, just lands. There yeah. were no streets. There were no utilities. They expected a different living condition when they moved here, but they basically had to start from scratch. So they worked so hard, but at the end, they managed to create what, they, what they've done. And also it was very hard for them to integrate in the, in the, the territory because, you know, the local people at the beginning, uh, the people, you know, they were living in the municipality of Bulgari, they were seeing the Marchigiani as immigrants. So they really had a hard time to really integrate in the terroir, but they, they finally uh, got it. They had their own community too, which exactly, is really, really yes. important for any immigrant community, whether you come from Italy to the U.S. or whether you go from Le Marche to Tuscany. Tell us what... Bulgari is because I think when people think about Tuscany, they Perfect. think Chianti, right? Or they think yeah. Montalcino and they think these very hilly, rolling lands. There's altitude in Chianti and in Montalcino and Montepulciano. These towns are high up, they're hilltop towns, but that is not Bulgari. Bulgari is completely different. So can you? recreate what you told me when we came to see you. So you have to imagine Bulgari as a natural amphitheater. So it's a natural amphitheater overlooking the Tyrrhenian coast. It's so special because the, the terroir is surrounded by hills, which create like a sort of C-shape, leaving the east side as the only side open, the one facing the coast. And so this beautiful shape leads to a perfect and amazing microclimate, which is suitable not only for viticulture, but also for horticulture. That's why Bulgari, before become a wine terroir, was the land of farmers, like I told you before. 
So yes, it's a petite area. It uh, spans for about 13 kilometers from the northest point to the southern one and for about seven kilometers from east to west. So small. It's like a gem. I always say Bulgari is like a special gem, unique terroir. Talk about the climate because it also yeah. has a different climate which the Marema area is quite different. You've got the coast there, so that's going to affect We have affect the coast. Thing. We have, so this special like shape of Bulgaria leads to this unique microclimate, which is characterized by this unique ventilation coming from the coast. So the vineyards, the lands, it's constantly refreshed by the sea breeze coming from the coast. And also the, those hills protect the vineyards from the cold winter winds. So it creates like a very unique, dry, well-ventilated microclimate, which is very good for the cultivation of vines. Bulgaria also, one of the main future is the light. So it's a very bright area and the light is intensified by the sun, the sun rays that are reflected by the sea, which it acts like a mirror. So, and the sun is also important for the photosynthesis of the plant. And one of the main features in Bulgaria is the soil. So in Bulgaria, we have a, a great complexity, variety of soil. You can find like sandy soil closer to the coast, sandy clay, loam soil at the foothills and gravelly soil on the hills. So it's really variegated in terms of soil. And that means that each variety that is planted in one single unit, soil unit can express in a different way. And also the same varieties can express differently based on the soil where it's planted. That's really one of the most interesting things that I learned while I was there, that you've got these different soil types. But even the slope, there's some places, you don't have altitude, let's face it. There's no. not like big altitude. <laughs> yeah, like the altitudes range from like 10 meters above level till like 380 meters about above level. So you don't necessarily need altitude, especially for the grapes that you no. grow. I think it's a combination of features like the proximity to the sea, the sun exposure, the dry and windy climate, and the terroir. So the, all the combination of these characteristics shape unique wines in Bulgaria. Also, for example, I forgot to tell you, the breeze helps us to reduce the risk of some diseases caused, for example, by the excessive humidity, which is very common in other populations. So Bulgaria is very lucky to have this kind of microclimate. It is because then you can do organics more easily. You, you can take care exactly. of the plants more easily because in some other areas it gets much hotter and they don't yeah. have the sea breeze. So you're getting very different flavors in the grapes. Within the context of what you've just told us, where is Le Vigne de Silvia? Where are you located and what kinds of soils do you have access to? We are located right in the heart of the DOC appellation in the plain. So we are actually five kilometers from the coast and we are located in, in an area where the wine business has developed recently. And our soil are medium texture with some clay in the deepest layers and are well-drained, very fresh, deep enough to allow the roots to reach all the nutrients that they need. Mostly are, we are on the plain, on the coast. But you're getting nice breezes. Yes, because all the of time. That. Yeah, even in, in August when it's 40 degrees, you really feel the breeze and it's amazing. The cooling effect of the winds really helps to have this very healthy climate. Definitely versus, again, some areas where it's just absolutely but still. Yeah. So how did you and your family, or really Sylvia, go about starting a new winery in Bulgaria? Now, your family's been there a long time, but you just started yes. in wine. 
So why did you choose the grapes? Is it based on your preference? Is it based on the soil types? Is it a combination? And why did you decide to do it now? And is it hard to start a winery? Yes, it's true. We actually, one of the, like, the newest wineries that was born in Bulgaria, and that's happened in 2014. Uh, my parents, as I told you before, has been cultivating this land for many, many years, starting from my grandfather till my father and my mother. But in 2014, my parents had this piece of land in between two vineyards. And horticulture and viticulture are not so compatible mm -hmm. in terms of agronomical practice. So they decided to plant some a vineyard in the piece of land. And they thought that one day, Silvia and I we could take care of it. So that's Because happened. didn't so, you say that your dad never wanted to do wine? Wasn't yes, that the one you, thing that he was like, yes. nope? My father always preferred to the horticulture. So he always preferred to cultivate his land. He was actually one of the biggest producer of basil in Tuscany. And he always thought that the wine world was far from him, was distant. But at the end, you know, we grew up in a terroir where the wine business was developing and we have followed like the trend in this territory. So that's why they decided to give us this great gift by planting the one hectare of Cabernet Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon, which were the, the two varieties that we always liked the most. Did they know what to plant? Did your dad consult people and, or did he just say, okay, this is from his own knowledge? No, no, no. So again, we have followed like the trend in the wine business in the, in the territory. Bulgaria is known to be the small Bordeaux because the main varieties are international. So actually most of the producers cultivate all the Bordeaux varieties, Cabernet Franc, Sauvignon, Merlot. But we decided just to focus on those two varieties, Cabernet Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon, because they are the variety that we like the most, most of because of our taste. And also you have because, to make wines you like. Ex else exactly. What's the point? <laughs> and also because the soil is also suitable for the cultivation of those two varieties. Very right. good. When did your parents give the winery over to you? The yeah. vines, I guess. Just, the, vi the winery did not exist. The vines existed. Yeah. Yes. I mean, since the very beginning. I'm, we are a very close family. My sister, at the time when my father, when my parents planted the vineyard, she was still playing soccer. But my sister, she always had two dreams. She wanted to be a soccer player and she also wanted to be a farmer. And eventually she always thought that one day when at the end of her career, she was going to come back to farm our land in Bulgaria. Did she know what kind of farmer she wanted to be? Because you got no. the chickens, no, no, no. which you and I are really not into <laughs> yes. at all, as we know. So like, was she going to be like, a, a, you know, what kind of agriculture was she thinking? Was she thinking chickens? Or is that all no, your mom? No, your no, mom's no. Mom's all about the chickens. Mom <laughs> my mom, she has this great cheese breeds, different cheese. And... There's many of them, but they're all oh, terrifying to me. Yes. <laughs> terrified too. But the, the problem are. is, I can't tell no one because, you know, it doesn't. You can People tell can us. Really... Yeah, you I can, can tell, tell me. I am afraid also. You saw me. I was running away with you. <laughs> yeah. No. So, no, she didn't know what to do with our land. But when there came this possibility of making wine, it was very, I mean, interesting. Do you think that because Sylvia was traveling, she was seeing a lot of different things. Do you think that once she left Bulgari, she was kind of like, well, look, a lot of people do drink wine and this could be a good business. And she also probably made a lot of contacts and knew people because she's a pretty famous footballer. 
Yes, she's and she's also a very ambitious person. She's always want to do the best. She's always looking to do the best as she can. So yeah, there was this possibility and she thought it could be like a great business plan after the career. What year did she retire? She retired in 2016, right? Okay. Like when the Binia was ready to produce. <laughs> perfect <So she> timing. <laughs> yes, yeah, perfect time. So she came back home and she really took care of the first vintage of, of the first harvest since the very beginning. Sylvia, she's, she's really great. She's the soul of the winery. She's very intelligent and she always tried to learn from the best people. So she surrounded herself from the best professional people that guide us to do what we're doing. She had to figure out what to do. So she hired Emiliano Falsini exactly, as the enologist. Yes. So how did she choose him? Did she interview a bunch of people or was he just the guy? And what kind of training did he give her or how involved is he? I, I never understand how the consulting enologists work. I think they all work differently because I think some people want to be very involved and some people say, you come here, you do everything, and then I'll take the credit for it, right? Yes. <laughs> I don't no. know. That's definitely not what you're doing, but no. can you explain how, to, yeah, how it happened and how course. she picked him? So we already knew Emiliano because Emiliano was professionally born in Bulgaria. So he, he started his career here in Bulgaria following other wineries. And Emiliano is one of the best enologists in Italy right now. And because Silvia, she's very ambitious and she always wants to do best, she asked for the best analogy. So that's why she chose Emiliano to be our guide consultant in the, in the winemaking process. And what is beautiful about Emiliano is not only that he's very knowledgeable, so he knows very well the terroir because he has been working here for many years. It's great because he doesn't impose his own ideas. He just helps us, he guides us on our path and he helped us to achieve what we want to. He just teaches, us, he helps yeah. us and he guides us during the right direction, the direction that we want to go. So that's a very mutual collaboration. It's very stimulating working with him. Does the family and whoever you have working with you do the actual harvesting and making yeah. the wine? And you I mean, just sort we, of are self-taught. Not really. Of course, we do everything because it's a family-run business. So it's my sister Sylvia, myself, my parents. So we all do everything. But we make wine in a cellar where people work, of course. But Emiliano is the one that gives us all the directions. But again, guiding us, not imposing us his style. He wants us to, to make our style. He really listens to what is our taste, what is our ideas and we really is a sharing of opinions so it's it's re it's great that's why we are thinking to have a long lasting collaboration with him because we love working with him you may learn how to do it yourself though and be on your own at some point some of it is confidence also the consulting winemakers can tell you after you learn the craft and the trade and the technology sometimes you still want them just to make sure that they see a lot of different people. So even though you're more involved than you were before, sometimes it's helpful just to have them to give you another check to say, yes, your wines taste how they should taste. <laughs> I think you you feel secure. You feel like protect. Being an analogist is not easy. It requires a lot of knowledge. So not everyone can be an analogist. So what we are thinking is just to improve ourselves. Is we're not thinking of doing everything by ourselves. It doesn't belong to our personalities. And you're much more farmers, I think, than yes. you don't want to be in a lab. 
I can't, no. <laughs> can't see any of you wanting to do that. You farm organically and you hand harvest everything. And yes. that's not common in Bulgari at all. Everybody's using machines because it's flat and it's easy to do. It's easier, of course, it's easier, yeah. Do you think it makes a big difference? Of course, when you're a small winery, you can do more things manually because the manual approach, of course, requires a greater time of work. But many wineries, Elizabeth, are still harvesting by hand here oh, in Bulgaria. Like the small producer, most of them harvest by hand. But the biggest, biggest winery, they had to recur to machinery because otherwise it would be impossible to harvest like 60 hectares by hand in one week, two weeks. <laughs> what about 330 at Antonori? Yes. <laughs> I could not believe how large that. Yeah, we're going to talk about the big guys in a minute. It's, but, it's, but, it's impossible. If everything's all ripe at once, there's no way exactly. to do that. Although they have enough money, they could hire people. They could fly them in from anywhere. Yeah, I mean, to, they have a big team, big team when it's harvest time. But as you said, when it's harvest time, everything is ripening, you have to really move quick. Yep. And that's why, you know, people think the harvest time is so relaxing. No, it's, it's so stressful. No. Oh, my God. Every time we harvest, it's like rushing, like working like crazy nonstop all day. Because, I know. Because you know, we have to harvest. A lot of people, and I know somebody is listening to this saying, I want to do harvest. Yeah. I want to contact Stefania, and I'm going to tell her I want to do just yes, <laughs> before you do it, they'll take the help, but you better be ready to really, really work. You got to get out in the field and you've got a, a harvest and it is hard work. And then once the stuff comes into the winery, that's usually where I've helped out before sorting and cleaning. And it's a Very lot stressful. of work. It's like a workout. You do a lot of squats and, you oh. know, your body hurts at the end of the night. Very bad. I promise you. <laughs> yes. Let's let's yeah. talk about your family. Let's talk first about Sylvia and how she wanted to be a farmer. She was such a successful footballer. Yeah. What was her concept when she decided, I'm going to open a winery? Did she know what she was getting herself into? I know she is a hard worker, as we've already discussed, but did she know how to do this or did she talk to people? It's not easy to go from not being in wine at all to being in wine because there are many layers to it as you're finding out because sales is 90% of the business and you don't realize hard. that until you're in it. So how did she figure out, okay, she had your dad and your mom who knew the yes, farming side. Of course. But she tried, Elizabeth. She worked so hard. She asked everyone that they were ready in producing wine. She studied she asked for help. She formed herself and she did a great job because, as you said, it's very, very hard, especially the bureaucracy that is behind the winemaking and the sale part. It's very hard. It's, it's full of competitors. So you really have to go into a very hard business. She really did by herself at the beginning because I, was, I wasn't in Italy at that time. So right. I was supporting her remotely. But I think she did a great job because in the first two years, also we, we started the winery and then COVID happened. So she really worked harder to sell a wine. I wonder if that was a good thing, though, because it gave her more time to figure COVID out was how not to good. do yeah. it. COVID was terrible, but in some ways it hit a pause button that then made us all slow down for a minute rather than just go, go, go. She probably had more of an opportunity to say, OK, well, 
I don't understand that one thing. Let me call someone. Let me, and people yes. had more time to give her also. Yes, of course. Also, we are, we are lucky because we have many related families that already have been producing wine for many years, like cousins. So they helped us a lot in the beginning to learn the new wine business. So we are really grateful for them. Bulgaria is still a beautiful community since the very beginning where my grandparents were here till today. Because, you know, the area where we live is the people are, they have all the same origin. They, we share the same history. You know, we all can have the same background. So your dad, yes. Carlo, is a huge basil producer. Uh, yep. I'm, I'm jealous because <laughs> that's my favorite thing in the entire world. You have to come back in one month. It's going to be ready. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's just, it must smell amazing. Yeah. It should be pretty clear that I really loved the Fuseli family and that Stefania and Sylvia are so near and dear to my heart. I told them they remind me of me and my sister who are very, very close. I hope that you are finding this podcast helpful and interesting and just a really great family story. These wines are not available in the U.S. right now, but there are so many small wine brands that are available. One way to get them is through Wine Access. If you go to wineaccess.com slash WFMP, you'll get 10% off your first order and you can start shopping and looking for these small wine brands. They're not available widely. These are brands that are from people like Stefania who are young and they might be starting new ventures and they make really great wine that you're just not going to know about unless you go through a curated site like Wine Access. Another way to get really great curated wines is to join my wine club that I have with Wine Access. Wineaccess.com slash normal is how you'll do that. Our next shipment is wines that are going to be virtually impossible for you to get because they're all wines from fan favorite. If you listen a lot to the show, Serge Dorian. I would love for you to check it out if you haven't done so previously. Wine Access, wineaccess.com slash normal to join that wine club and wineaccess.com slash WFMP to see wines that I'm drinking right now and then to get access to the site so that you can get that 10% off. The box that you get is super high quality. There are notes, there are pairing suggestions, serving temperatures, which I love. So much information about the wine and the winery. Go check it out today, wineaccess.com slash normal, wineaccess.com slash WFMP, and start getting these small brands in your wine collection today. Also, don't forget, wineforNormalPeople.com slash classes. We've got classes posted on our new website, which was done by Five Forest. My friend Polly at Five Forest, what an awesome website. I'm so excited about it. You can check out the new classes. Rosé is coming up. That's a once a year class. I'm going to be doing some other really interesting, cool classes. Check it out today, wineforNormalPeople.com slash classes. And if you want to support the podcast, help keep us going and join the best community in wine with so many fun hangouts, great conversations, awesome weekly tips, go to patreon.com slash wineforNormalPeople, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash wineforNormalPeople. Now let's get back to the awesome show. Your dad never wanted to do wine, as we already said. 
And he is an amazing farmer, obviously, because to be the biggest basil producer in Italy, that is huge. The demand for that herb in Italy, it's the foundation of everything from Tuscany south. In the north, it's, it's different. But from Tuscany to the south, east and west, everybody needs it. So I cannot imagine he's got this passion. And then I wonder how then he looks at Sylvia, he says, okay, fine, we'll do the grapes because everybody's doing the grapes. We'll put them in. We're going to give this to you. Fine. But now how does he feel about the grapes? And I wonder if he ever talks about how the culture of Bulgari has changed or evolved because he was born in Le Marque and then he comes to Bulgari and grew up there. Yes, he was one year old. That's all he ever knew. Yeah, of course. I would just wonder, because I think all of us look back, no matter how old you are, once you're grown up, you look back and say, gosh, that place isn't what it used to be. And that p- place has changed. Or is it the same? Is it similar? Yeah. My father, Elizabeth, is the, the Bulgari man. He's in love with this terroir. He is a very conservative person. So he would love to preserve Bulgari the way it is. He really is devoted to this land. And when he works, he really put all his passion into it. And if you want to know where is my father right now, he's in the vineyards working right. with this tractor. He's constantly <laughs> working. He's an unstoppable man. I don't know anyone working like him. It's, he really loves and yet, his And land. he's so happy. He doesn't yeah. have a problem with it. He likes no, it. No, he complains every day because <laughs> he wants to retire. But then I said, Babu, you, because we call Babu in Tuscany, right? Yes, yes. Say that you can relax. You don't have to work like crazy. Say, but then he can help himself. He has to work and he <laughs> loves what he's doing. And of course, he's a, he's a great farmer because he has been cultivating his land for all his life. But it also takes care of the vineyards in an amazing way. Everybody look at the vineyards of my father and say, wow, Carlo, you are amazing because your vineyards are perfectly yeah, They uh, are. Well, they really yes. are. It takes care of the vineyard like, like their, their daughters. Well, you guys are old now. You're older. So he's he needed something to take care of. But that's so funny that he made the shift very seamlessly. My father always say, "Okay, I'm going to take care of the vineyards, but I don't want to know anything about selling wines, cellar, bottling the wines. You do the rest. I take care of the vineyards. I stay outside because that's what he likes. He likes to wake up in the morning, look at the hillside and is happy. It's the best part of wine. And if you don't get it right in the vineyard then there's nothing you can do in the winery, even though exactly. people try. Yeah. And also it's, in, it's very important to have a person like our father that takes care of the vineyard because otherwise we, we have to hire someone and it's different. It's, yes. My father has a very great knowledge of the terroir and you know what he's doing. And also we have another important person that helps us in the vineyard, which is Stefano Bartolomei, which is a great agronomist that also has a, very great big experience here in Bulgari and guides us as well in all the agronomic practices in the vineyard. So we are surrounded by great people, Elizabeth. It just sounds like it's a whole family. Everybody yeah. is in the family. Yeah, and even the professionals that helps us become a family because it's the way we are. <laughs> yes, it is definitely the way that you are. But there's this culture in Bulgari that we don't see on the outside. But it sounds like there's a lot more to it than what people, and including the wine press, say about it. They don't really focus on the small family wineries. They focus on the big guys and 
the story about the Marchese and all of that it's kind true. of stuff, which which we'll talk yeah. about. Okay, let's give some credit to your mom, Lavinia, who is your support. She is the rock on which you all rely. So yeah. how is she taken into the winery? Has she is she okay with it? Is she, she's probably just so supportive of everything either of you do. So my mother, she's the pillar of the family and she supports all of us and she's also the mediator when we have <laughs> in all our discussions. She helps us in everything, especially in the hospitality. She's really a great help. My mom, she knows how to do everything. So where, wherever we put her, she she can do. It's <laughs> amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. Yes. She's, she's like a real yes. solid person. Yeah. She's also always supporting us in every decision. My father is always a little more conservative. He's always skeptical about changes or doing something in the in the farm, in the company. But my mom, she's more like us. Right. <laughs> she's she's ready. always willing to do something to, to change, to create. It's important to have both. I think it is exactly. important to yeah. have your father be somebody who says, this is how the tradition goes. We can't yeah. change everything. I think it's no. really important to have people like your dad who keep these traditions alive because otherwise we get too far away from it. And then it, exactly. it winds up being something totally different that we don't want, I think. I think one of the, the peculiarities of our farm is also that we maintain this dual activity. So we do wine while we keep our traditional agriculture. So that's also like special about us. You know, we don't forget you. where we are from. And also it's our dreams to keep our agriculture traditions as well. All right. Speaking of somebody who's really dynamic and wants <laughs> lots of change. All right. This is the moment everybody's waiting for. Oh, my God. You, let's, <laughs> let's tell us all about Stefania and how you wound up doing this. You probably have the most wine background of everybody in your family. You're yes. it. No wonder Sylvia was on the phone with you every day. So let's hear the whole story. Give it to us. So basically, I grew up here in Bulgari. After my high school, I decided to go to study agriculture science. So I studied at university in Pisa, agriculture science. And while I was studying, I also decided to take a certification as a sommelier. But that was just for fun because I was working in an Oteca in Bulgari. So I was really getting to wine. So I wanted to know more about wines. I didn't want to take the certification just to show off. I just want to know about wine. Because as we've talked about, you and I are both very type A, have to be doing something. So it's good to exactly. have something to go yes. for. After you get the base certification, you can figure it out yourself. That's kind of how I always felt yeah, about course. it. It's like you just yeah. need, you need to know where to look for stuff. And then after that, you, you actually do better if you learn by yourself. That's exactly. what I think. So I got my certification, I finished my university, and I left Italy. I moved to the U.S. for a few years because I followed the love of my life. <laughs> Your husband now? Yes. <laughs> so um, at the time, my husband was my boyfriend, and he moved to the U.S. because of boxing. He was a professional fighter, and uh, he moved to New York because one manager saw him, and he asked him to fight in his team. So as soon as I finish my study, I say goodbye to everybody. I love you so much, but I'm leaving. <laughs> because, you know, I had to leave that dream. The and American you lived in dream. the city, right? You live in New York? Yeah. Yep. I was living in Staten Island. Uh, first of all, in Brooklyn and then Staten Island. I had the best time of my life. 
with the love of my life in the city of my dreams. So I really, yeah, I enjoyed so much living there. The energy that the city was giving to me was something that I, ca I can't explain to, to people. The thing that I miss the most is literally the energy that I was feeling every day, the vibrancy when I was walking on the street. And sometimes, you know, I walk through the vineyards and I try to imagine that the vines are like the buildings. <laughs> so or the I people, like people everywhere. <laughs> okay, I joke apart. I, I, I feel almost the same energy in the vineyards as well. So when I came back, I realized that you can love two places at the same time, two completely different places. So, so I was in New York <laughs> and my sister started this wine journey. But I always support her remotely, choosing the, the, the labels, discussing the name, how to call the, the wines, etc. But at a certain point, I kind of felt the need to come back to help her. She actually told me, Steffi, if you don't come back, I'm going to come and get you because I need <laughs> you because I can't do anything. You had some serious knowledge, though, also that she did not yeah. have. She did sport her whole life. And yeah. you studied this stuff. You understood some about the sales because you worked in an Enoteca and the sommelier training is not just about the different regions of the world. It's also about selling and about yeah. customers and how to deal with that. So I think you are an essential part of, of that. Yes. Plus you speak fluent English and you're the only one in the family that really does. Yeah. Yes. So there's that too, which is really important because if you sell to Germany they speak English. You know, if you sell to France, Everywhere. they're going to speak English, Everywhere. right? Yeah. So that's the common language and your English it's is true. flawless. So I think, yeah. where did you learn English? Did you learn it in school? And then yeah, you perfected it in New York? Yeah, in New York. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. school in New York. Yeah, of course. I don't know. I don't like your accent, though. You got to talk like this. You got <laughs> to say coffee. You got to talk like we talk. You got to get in there. Come on. I, lo I love American accent. I, <laughs> There's I wish many. I could speak like you. <laughs> There's many American accents, many, many yeah, American accents. I'm sure you do not love all of them, but the New York accent <laughs> is definitely very... I love it. <laughs> very distinctive, for sure. Let's talk about your role in the winery. Essentially, even though Sylvia is the namesake and she has started the winery, really, you are running the winery with her. I just want to give you the credit that you deserve <laughs> because you are really, really essential part of this, which is that she started it, but she had you as her help the entire time in making all of the major decisions. And it really is a sister-run yes. operation with the support of your parents. I mean, Elizabeth, Sylvia and I, uh, as you, you, you knew us, so yeah. you saw that we have two completely different personalities, right? Completely different, yes. But we are complementary, so... We really match each other and our strength is that we work together, respecting each other's character, respecting each other's space. So Sylvia, she's great in uh, all the bureaucracy stuff that are a lot and I'm not very good in. So she it's frustrating. Deal with, it's frustrating, it's stressful. So Sylvia, you do and I keep the smile <laughs> and I do and they take care of the hospitality and other part yeah and also Sylvia she uh, also follow more the seller the winemaking part she's graduated in uh, in chemistry so she's really knowledge as well in all the chemistry and you're more on the farming side because that's what you studied you studied yes. more of yes yes 
when I studied agriculture, I did mostly because I grew up in Bulgaria and there are many, many wineries and farms. So at that time I thought, oh, I might find the work in other companies or I might work in my company, my farm. I never thought that one day I would, be, I would own my own winery. That's the best thing is when you don't think you're yeah. going to do it because then you have less ego about it. You yes. just fall into it and then you go, oh, wow, yeah. okay, I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> exactly, yes. But Sylvia, what I have to say that since the very beginning, even though I was living in New York, she asked me from the very beginning, Steffi, I want to do this with you. I don't want to do it by myself. Are you in with me? Say, so, yes, but I'm not ready to come back. Right. I, I want to stay here a little longer. So, so I wait, I wait, and I say, Stacey, you have to come back. It, the winery is going very well, it's expanding, the business is doing good. So, I need you that when I came back home. And also, since even the name, Livinia di Silvia, it's, it's true we chose her name because, first of all, because I love her name so much. I love it the name Silvia. But our logo is actually uh, made of two letters, which are overlapping and they create a heart. The logo is like an S, which are our initials, SS, defining Sylvia. <laughs> I want to talk about the wines. Yes. Every bottle has so much significance. Can you tell us about the three wines that you make yeah. and what the significance of each of them is? Of course. So we, we produce three wines. Uh, Giochessa, which is our Bulgari Vermentino doc. So and delicious. A, <laughs> thank you. We produce a Bulgari Rosso doc, which is Artemio. And our niche wine is Itinerante, which is a 100% Cabernet Franc. It's basically a very niche production. So they're all very high quality level wines. Giochessa yes. uh, is, is our white and it's a special wine because it's dedicated to my sister Silvia career. Giochessa uh, in Tuscan dialect means like dribbling. So we use this term when we watch a soccer game and a, a player does a tunnel, a dribbling, we do, oh, uh, the player just did a very great jokista. So when he strikes, it's a term that it refers to soccer. So that's why we, we name the white wine jokista. And the label is actually an abstract representation of Sylvia while she's kicking a soccer ball. So, so it's, cool. So it's dedicated to her. And also on every back label, there is a sentence, there is a thought written by Silvia because Silvia, she's also a very good writer. And behind Jokessa, in the back label, there is a sentence that says, when I grow up, I'm going to be a farmer. That's a sentence that Silvia wrote when she was just six years old. I still remember that day. It was like Christmas time and we were looking at the notebook from our elementary school and we found the cutest essay ever. Sylvia, she was six years old and she drew like my father uh, with some vegetables. Aww. And she wrote, when I grow up, I'm going to be a farmer. Uh, so that's why we, we wrote this sentence in the back label. There's something else special about Jokesa, which is the si? bit of Le Marque inside Verdicchio. of it. So yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, there is an emotional part in Jokesa. So the vintage 2022 uh, mostly it's Vermentino variety and is enriched with Verdicchio, just a 5% of Verdicchio that we planted uh, three years ago to honor our family's origin because Verdicchio is a native variety from Lemarque and also is known to be a grape that shaped wine with a nice structure, complexity. And so we, we enrich the Cesta with Verdicchio to give like a longevity to our white wine because Bulgaria is well known for the reds. Also, 
Bulgaria, usually winemakers invest more in red wines, but as a white wine lovers, we wanted to make a white wine that could stand next to the reds, age worth white wine. So that's why we invest a lot in, uh, in our Bulgari Vermentino. It is delicious. I think the other thing that Thank I was going to say is that the big thing that I learned in Tuscany is that I think that Vermentino is really the white yes. grape of Tuscany and it's not marketed enough as this is a white wine that can stand with the reds. It's Vernaccia because of the big legacy, but Vernaccia can't do what Vermentino can do, at least in my opinion. I feel very hopeful that with things like the Jocesa, if that gets out into the market, I think that could be Tuscany's really, they just haven't, nobody's done a good enough job of really presenting that story, I think. Exactly. Also, the, I think people underestimate the Vermentino variety here in uh, in Bulgari. Yes. But I think the, the white wine here in this terroir has a very great potential. So we invest also in the aging process so because in, when we make Jocesta, half of the wine ferments and refines its steel tank, but half of the wine refines in French barrels. So that we do to enhance the complexity and give the structure to the wine. Also, uh, after the fermentation, we do what we call like the batonnage, periodical batonnage to increase the complexity of the aromas. We really invest into our white wine. Okay, tell us about the other two, Artemio. Yes, so Artemio is our Bulgari Rosso, Doc Bulgari Rosso, and is the wine that is the blend of Cabernet Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon, mostly Cabernet Sauvignon. And the wine refines for about 10 months in a large wooden vat, oak vat, and in French oak barrels. The wine really expresses the terroir, so it's a typical Bulgari doc but at the same time has like a great uh, minerality and freshness, which is typical of our terroir and is typical of our wines. It's what we look for when we make a wine, you know, announce the, var- the varietal characteristics, the freshness, the acidity, which is not so common in the Bulgari Rosso because usually winemakers make Bulgari with blending with other varieties like Merlot or the Syrah. So we decided to just blend the, those two varieties. It's the only one we cultivate, so. <laughs> they go really well together. It's a really fresh yes, style, I think too. So. <laughs> it's a lot lighter in a good way. I mean, it's not like super heavy. Yeah. And, yeah. It's approachable. It's drinkable. So I think if we wanted to make a modern, a vibrant wine, uh, we didn't want to make this heavy, oaky wine. Right. So that's our style. We make wine that we like to drink. So of course. Of course. And that goes well with point. food. <laughs> it makes such good food. It's got to go well with the basil. <laughs> you cannot just drink. Exactly. But what about and that the, label? Because H label has a significance. So yeah. Artemio, is a, being a Bulgari doc, is dedicated to our father. Is My father's name is Carlo Artemio. So we dedicated to him because he deserves to have a, a wine name after him. Because my father is a typical Bulgari man. So we decided to just dedicate the Bulgari doc to him. And That's the label awesome. is a representation of our farm. So it's an abstract picture of vineyards, basil, cultivated lands, and all the dual activity of our farm are uh, representing the label. Tell us about Itinerante. Yes, Itinerante is our 100% Cabernet Franc. We really do the best selection of the grape during harvest time. And uh, Cabernet Franc has found his land of choice here in Bulgaria. And made the Cabernet Franc 100% is very challenging, but because we are very ambitious, so it was our first idea when we started making wine and we say, Silvia, 
Is Sylvia told me, Steffi, I want to do a carbon, 100% Cabernet Franc. I said, yes, let's do it. It is hard. It can have a lot of green flavors if you don't do it right and grow it in the exactly, right places. Yes. But it's warm enough there. It's warm enough. And also, you know, you have to really harvest at the perfect time of ripening. So that's also the secret. Now, you, you, when you take care of your vineyards very well and you guide your plants from the pruning to the harvest time in a very good way, you really can bring to the cellar the best grapes. So yeah. that's what we're trying to do. And itinerante has also a special aging protocol. One part of the wine refines in a beautiful amphora uh, made of cocciopisto, and the rest refines in French oak barrels. No. The use of amphora is because we want to preserve all the freshness, all the organoleptic characteristic of the Cabernet Franc, because the amphora of cocciopisto doesn't release any flavor into the wine, so it's inert. So right. basically, allow the better microoxygenation, but the wine preserve all its unique flavors. Combining the amphora and the barrels, we can really shape a very elegant and complex red wine, modern, approachable, but at the same time, we can also wait to drink this wine. People love Cabernet Franc, but it's so hard to find because Chinon in the Loire has gotten more ripe now, but it used yeah. to be so green. It's hard to do it, but you do it and you do it really, really well. That's a hard first wine to have, but it's a great point of differentiation because people constantly ask me, where can I get 100% Cabernet Franc? And I'm like, well, Bourguet and Chinon are the only places that you're going to find that. And it's not always good. It's not always going to be good. Yeah, so it's not that easy. You need to it's get distribution easy. in the U.S. so that we can get your wines here. I hope. Well, we're going to do our last <laughs> plea for that on the end. I want to ask you one last question about Bulgari. Si. Because we've kind of skirted around this issue of the aristocracy. And mm -hmm. I was looking at the Consorcio's site. Um, si. And I'm looking at who runs Bulgari. It is one member of the Antonori or the Encesa de la Roqueta family or a relation of them over mm -hmm. and over and over again. These aristocrats still run Bulgari. So yeah. it just seems like it's not necessarily their fault, but it does seem like they're still doing the system where they're owning all these lands and they run the consorcio and they run the business and they set the tone. And then everybody else has got to either ride on their success or you have to go a different direction. And it's very difficult. Part of the reason we don't see more Bulgari DOC wines here is because when we think of Bulgari, it's Sasakaya, it's Ornalaya, it's Masetto. And so where's the rest of it? Where is the rest <laughs> of it? We get some wines from other parts of the coast. You know, we see some more Lino di Scansano. But I have to say, and, I, and this is not a nice thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. The wines of Morlino de Scansano do not hold a candle to the wines of Chianti and Montalcino, and it's the same grape. So that's really tough for them. They're not as good, and they're competing. You're doing something completely different, and yet the market forces are just saying more Antonori, more Sasakaya. So how does this work? Is it a political thing, or is it just oh. you guys just do your own thing, and they do their own thing, and you're part of the consortium because you have to be? No, no. I, that's a very interesting question. It's true that the consortium Bulgari has been led for many years by members of the noble family, but it's also true that many members of of the uh, board of directors are made of wine producers who do not have a noble origin, normal people. But 
it's also true that the wine business in Bulgaria started thanks to those noble family. The Marquis in Cittale della Rocchetta had this brilliant intuition in 1940s to plant some international varieties in Bulgaria. And if Bulgaria today is so well known all over the world, it's also because of them. It's just because of them, because they start everything. And what is important to say that those big, big brand, the noble families company, they still work in today to ensure the high quality of Bulgari in the world. So us more, small producers like us can really benefit from this popularity that, Maybe. you know, Maybe <laughs> if, if they don't take up all the market share. I guess my question really is Sasakaya, is it? People know what Sasakaya is. So Sasakaya yes, because it's is, the first wine that Robert right. Parker rated like with 100 points. But are they doing a good job of promoting Bulgari or are they doing a good job of promoting Sasakaya so that it makes it, you know, you are kind of starting from a point of, yeah, we're made in the same region as Sasakaya and no one knows about the region because the wine is on its own reputation. The other thing about those wines is that I haven't had a lot of them. They're too expensive for me, but <laughs> they could expensive. be from anywhere, really. I haven't had Sasakaya, but I've had Ornelia before. Ornelia could be from California. It could be from a lot of different places. Truly an international wine. It trades on its name, not on Bulgari. So I just wonder if it makes it harder for you or whether it's easier for you to go into a, a sales situation and say, okay, we are not known as Bulgari, but we are from the same place as Sasikaya. Yeah, I think it makes it easier. Okay. So if we don't have the same economic power of them, of course, you cannot even compete. But they have been tracing like really a good path for us to be able to get ourselves known in the world. And just when we go to Vinitaly, to Provine, and be part of the consortium Bulgaria, of this prestigious consortium, is a very a big, big benefit for us, yes. Yeah. And also, people may think it's not like that, but the consortium is very united, so there is a lot of collaboration and respect between the producers. So we just benefits from those big brands. What is beautiful about the consortium, I want to say, because we are two women, that there are many, many women at the presidency and also in the members of, of the consortium. And many, many women are working in the vineyards. So great. in Bulgaria, there is this great feminine energy, positive energy that, you know, really embrace the entire terroirs. That's things that I wanted to say about the consortium of Bulgaria. That's hugely important, especially in Italy, where still there is not the presence like there is in France of women winemakers, of women wine owners. We see exactly. a lot of that in France. Spain and Portugal and Italy are definitely a little bit behind in that. And it has to yeah. do with the culture, obviously. Exactly, yeah. But I think in Bulgaria, you know, we are open. It's great. That's a great yeah. thing to point out. It's fantastic. Yeah. I love hearing that because I think that it's a really important thing. It's not to say that men are not also important. I always point that out. No, I love men. No, of course men, not. Of course but, not. But it's important but, to have both opinions because women drink a lot of wine also. Of and, course. You know, men making all of the decisions is not healthy for anybody. So exactly. I think that's fantastic. Also, what's important to say that it's true the, what you say. Maybe a lot of people come to Bulgaria because of the big brand to visit the big wineries. But it's also true that there are many, many people that are curious, like you, to know also the small producers. So it's good to know both of them because we do wine also because they started before us. So, you know, 
Yes, and they they helped with infrastructure. It is true. The reason I ask is that from an international perspective, I would have zero idea that you existed because when I think of Bulgari, I just think of those names. And I just want other people to know that there's this whole growth of people that are here. And especially as I'm going to make my plea here, which is two things. If you're listening to this and you happen to be a wine journalist, please cover people like Lavinia Di Silvia. Stefania and Silvia are amazing. You can contact me if you're a journalist and I will give you their contact information or just go on their website. The second thing I want to say is that if you are a distributor in the U.S. and you are looking for some really interesting wines, And especially, as we mentioned, people are looking for things like Vermentino and Cabernet Franc. Here it is. It's right here. And you couldn't ask for a better family to work with. So I just want to put that out there. The website is levinedesilvia.com, right? Exactly. Pretty easy to find. They've got to contact us. You can get in touch with her very easily. They also do accept visitors. So please, if you're going to Bulgari, and you should go there. The seaside is there also. It's, It's amazing. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Elizabeth. And with that, this has been another episode of Wine for Normal People. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.